may be seated. If you're missing Sunday school, I invite you to come and be. We'll be finished, we'll finish part one this morning on building great faith, the great faith in God. I spoke this morning, and uh, we'll be finishing that up next week, so I invite you to come. If you don't understand what faith is, because there's a lot of people, I think, that don't understand what faith is, they kind of mix up the natural faith and biblical faith. So if you'd really like to come and learn about faith, because I believe that it will help you in your daily walk with the Lord. How many of you today have the want to? How many of you have a want to today? Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, how many of you just don't want to? Raise your hand. You see, there's a problem with all of us, me included, we all, uh, have this problem of things that uh, we want to do that's not always the right thing to do. And many times we like to give the devil a lot more credit than he's due. There was an expression going around when I was in school, I know that it's probably so old that nobody's ever heard it before, but it, there was a little expression, especially if you got called into the principal's office. It was, a good, it was a good way to get on the good side with the principal. Well, the devil made me do it. I don't know, but every time I used it, I still got a whooping. And that's a paddling for those of you who don't know what a whooping is. Um, but we fight our want to every day. Every day of our life, not just some of them, I mean every day, we make decisions of what we want to do. There's not a person sitting in this auditorium, including myself, that are not where they are today because of the choices of others, but because of their want to. We are exactly where we want to be. If we weren't where we want to be, we would not be there. So our want to is important in our life. And there are many examples and and things in scriptures, but I want first for us to look at One scripture that's going to be like the base scripture. So if you're turning in your Bibles, make sure you keep your finger there because we're going to be going back and forth. But if you're watching them up on top, hopefully if I don't mess up uh, in the way and then Teresa gets out of sequence because I mess up, uh, we should be all right. But I want you to turn with me to Luke 9. Luke 9. And we're going to use this kind of as our pivot verse that we're going to be constantly going back to as we go through this whole verse and those passages. Verse 23, it says, And then he said unto them, If anyone desires, I kind of substituted in it, if anyone wants to, so it matched up with my title. Okay. So if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And here Jesus verses things, he says he wants to. Now what is really, what am I trying to say when I say you want to do something? What I want to, I guess if you want to use a long word for it, it would be surrender. Now how do you get surrender out of that? Because he says to want to, you have to surrender. He said, if anyone would come after me. In other words, if you want to accept Jesus Christ, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, it says if, and I'm not going to get into the ifs because I say it all the time, but the Word of God is covered up with the word of ifs. That's when God gives a prerequisite to something that you get here. Everybody wants the blessing, but nobody wants to do what it requires to get the blessing. Okay? We don't want to do this, but we want God to do this. Okay? And God is saying, if you do this, I'll do that. If you come to me, I'll come to you. You draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. You resist the devil, he'll be resisted, right? He says, what you want to do, you do. And Paul fought that battle over and over and over. We know about that. But here is an open invitation that we see right here to walk through life with the creator of the universe and the savior of sinners. And, and I, like, I think a lot of times we forget who God really is. He is the creator of the universe. Everything that we see around us in nature and everything, the laws that dictate our lives. God's law. God's law. And he made many, many natural laws that we must follow in the natural state thing to be able to receive the benefits of what God's promises in His Word. We can try to change this law. We can modify this law. We can get helium and put it in a balloon and throw it up and it'll keep going. Will it ever come down? We manipulate the law of God to make that balloon go up in the air, right? But at some point in time, that balloon has to what? It has to come down because it defies the law of God. Now, if God was to do something that, that so, it's just like rain comes from clouds. That's a law. A lot of people don't realize that God put motions in, in, in things. People wonder, why do we have hurricanes? Because we've got to get the water back over the, over the United States and over all the different places of the world. That's the way that it gets carried in. We don't like the hurricane part of it, but it's the fact that it's the way temperature works. It's the way the systems work. It's the way we get water back. We dump it all out, push it out in the ocean. God takes it back up out of the ocean, pushes it back in, and drops it back on and says, that's my law. Well, the same thing is true in all the things that we do for God. If we're going to follow Jesus, you have to want to follow. Follow means to walk behind or to do the things that the one leading is telling us to do. That is a desire or a want to that has to be in us as Christians. To want to follow God in all of His ways, 
Not some of them, but all of his ways and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. As wonderful as it is to say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to seek after Jesus, it's kind of hard to do. I mean, we'd agree. I guess nobody agrees because they don't want to raise their hand. Okay, got it. All right. Even though salvation is the greatest gift that we can ever receive, seeking and growing as a Christian requires surrender or a commitment, and you must have the want to. Without the want to, you will struggle and struggle and struggle because we make choices based on our want to and not choices on what God wants to or wants for us to do. And many times I hear many people come in and pray it and ask you to pray for this, pray for me and this, or pray for this and that. And I ask myself many times, how did they get there? God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And you look and you say, but how did you get there? What want to did you do to get you where you are that now you want God to come and bail you out? We become, a, we, we become, God, I want, I want, I want. Well, God wants to give, okay? But the thing about it, if he wants to give you a bottle of water, but you don't want to take the bottle of water, it's kind of like the guy that was standing on the roof during a flood. He was standing on his roof praying, God, help me, help me, help me. The boat came by. said, get in. He said, no, I'm trusting God. So the boat went away. Later on, the helicopter came, came down, dropped him a line, said, grab hold of the line, we'll take you to safety. He said, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. How many times does God have to ask or offer before we do what He wants us to do and grab the rope? instead of waiting for God to answer it the way we want to see it answered. Okay? So it's important to realize that in Scripture, over and over, God gave the children of Israel the opportunity to change. They didn't want to. So what did they do? They did what they wanted to do. And... They got in trouble. So I'm here to tell you right up front, when you live your life doing what you want to, not what God wants you to do, you're going to have troubles in your life. God never intended for us to go through many of the valleys that we go through. I'm not saying that we don't go through some of them because God tests us. I'm saying that. But I can't believe that every test that out there many times is what you've done that's got you there because that's the test that you're going through God had nothing to do with. You put your own test before you. And then you want God to help you because you made a mistake. God does. Many, 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 many times I've seen him do it. But I want us to look at a couple of examples of having to make the right decision. In Genesis chapter 22, we have the story of Abraham and i got a lot of scripture here. I think I'm just going to skip around on them. But we must want to surrender. We must want to surrender. And it starts out, it says, And now it came to pass in the days 
that God tested Abraham. And he said unto him, and we'll just kind of highlight through, take your son, in verse 2, take your, now take now your son, your only son, Isaac. How many sons did he have? Huh? He had one, right? No, he had two sons. He only had one recognized son. He had one son from Sarah and him. That was his son. That's the only one God recognized. That was his only son. There was somebody else that had to give up his only son. See if you see any correlation here. He said, the son whom you love, the only son whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. So we know he got up, he went, and then we get down to verse 5. It says, And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. I got to make, I got I got to. Everybody get, gets upset at me. I don't want to say upset. People laugh sometimes at me when I say, where, where are you going? I'm going over yonder. And they say, no, you're going over there. I said, no, I'm going over yonder, just like Abraham went over yonder. <laughs> Never mind. Had to say it. Had to say it. Couldn't get away from it. If you got it, you got it. If you didn't, ask your husband when you get home. Okay? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and he, I'm getting in deeper trouble, so I'm going to move right along here. And we will come, and we will come back to you. That's faith. We talked about that this morning, right? But we talked about it. That's faith when you, he said, we will be back. Not, God said, go sacrifice your son as a burnt offering to me. And here, Abraham says, oh, we'll be back. That's when you call things which be not. So they were. Okay? Faith and trust. He had faith and he trusted that God, that he would bring his son back. Okay? Now, so Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, and, uh, of the burnt offering, and laid it, on, uh, laid it on Isaac. Can you think of wood that was laid on someone else's back? As he went to sacrifice himself? It was in the form of a cross. Here, Isaac bore his own object that was to burn him as he was sacrificed. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Then drop down to verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, although first of all, Isaac asked him, Father, we, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but we don't have the lamb for the burnt offering. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb. That's another statement of what? Faith. And his faith, what? His faith was saying, God, I know he's asked me, but he'll provide his own. And I think he said, if I have to kill my son, God will raise him from the dead. If I have to, he will. But in his heart, he knew that God was going to supply for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. 
And then they came to the place that he had told him. And Abraham built an altar and he placed the wood in order and bound his son Isaac. Bound Isaac, his son. This is where I want to get to because we talked about faith and trust in these other scriptures, right? Because that's what you have to have is you have to have trust. Abraham had his trust. But nobody talks about Isaac's trust. Isaac, Abraham was the one that was going to offer his son. His son was the one that surrendered to the will of his father up unto death. But he had to have had a confidence. He had to have trust in his father, okay? As he did what? Surrendered himself to the will of his father. See, we don't talk about Isaac. We always talk about Abraham and his great faith and all that. And I'm not questioning that. That's not part of the message, okay? But the point is here, we forget that Isaac surrendered to the point of willing to die. Now, Abraham had to do that, and he is our father, Father Abraham, right? And we get the promises that were given to Abraham, but who was the promise really given to? Isaac. The promise was made to Isaac's side. It was Isaac that carried the promise forward. It was from him that it came. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as it went through the line, but it went through that. And it was because he was willing to do what his father said to do, who was submitted to his father, which was heaven. The process that God wants us to have is that surrender and trusting Him. Trusting Him. If He said it, He's going to do it. Now, this, in the eyes of, of Isaac, really, you have to he was really committed. He was really, truly committed. Okay? Now, some people have partial commitments and other people have full commitments. I can remember when having, there was a church that was having a breakfast for the people to come. They were inviting people to come to church. So they needed some stuff for breakfast. So the pastor went out to the farmer and uh, says, we need uh, some things for breakfast. And so he said, well, you can go out there and in the farmyard, get what you need. So the pastor went out to the chicken. And he said, we're having a dinner, or breakfast, and we, and we need some eggs. And the chicken said, looks around, all his chickens says, I just took a pole of chickens, we'll all give you eggs, no problem. How many dozen you need? We'll have them ready for you tomorrow. So that's good. We'll have eggs tomorrow. So he walked over to the hog. For some of you don't know what a hog is, that's a pig, a big pig. And he says, hey, we're having this breakfast tomorrow. And uh, the chickens have uh, donated the, the eggs. We was wondering if you guys, if you guys, if you might donate the bacon. He says, well, 
Pastor, I'm going to have to think about that real hard. He said, why is that? The chicken over there, he, those chickens over there didn't have to think about it at all. He said, yeah, they just give it to you. You're asking for a total commitment. It went right over everybody's head. He was going to have to die to give him the bacon, right? So it required a total commitment. Many times we like to trust God like the chicken that was willing to give the egg but not totally commit to be the chicken for dinner. It takes more than just partial. God wants us to do it completely. It takes a full commitment for the Lord. Now, Jesus, in Luke 22, verse 41 says, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. This is in the garden. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus Christ showed us the same example that he wants us to have. Father, if there's another way, if it's your will, Father, for this cup to pass, let it pass. But not my will, but I submit my will to your will. And he did. Jesus had a will. He could have chosen not to go to the cross. A lot of people say, well, he had to go to the cross. Yeah, to save the world he did, but he still had a choice. He still had a choice. He had a choice whether or not to sin his whole life. He had the same choice as you do. And what did he do? He did that as an example. But then it goes down verse uh, 44, or 43 says he, uh, he was strengthened by the angel. He says, and being in agony, it wasn't easy committing to what the Father wanted. It was something. He agonized over this. And it says he prayed more earnestly. God, give, help me to get through this. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling. In other words, he was in such anguish, sweat was just dropping massively off of him through the anguish. Now, if Jesus Christ did that, made that kind of commitment to his father, and Isaac made that commitment to his father, then aren't we as Christians supposed to do the same thing and trust our father the same way that Isaac did and many other ones in the scriptures? There's tons, many of them. But we see these and we see Jesus. Jesus came to do that. So it's important for us to understand that God requires, would never require more from us than he required of himself. He was willing to give up his son. Okay? And Jesus was willing to give up his life so that you didn't have to. Now, what else does surrender or having the want to or a commitment is required of us. Well, the second part of that scripture that we came in Luke 23, uh, 23rd verse, it says, Then he said to him, If anyone desires or wants to come to me, let him deny himself. So we must deny ourselves. Self has to be denied. Denying ourself is what we fight every day as Christians. Every day we fight this battle. You say, well, if we fight a battle so much, we, just sometimes we, we fail. We're going to fail. There's no way that we're going to walk it. Per- but the point is, is what is our desire? 
What is our want to wanting to do? Do we want to walk right? Do we want to make the right decisions? Do we want what God wants for us in our life? It's what we want is what we get. Do we understand that? He says, whatsoever a man desires when he pray, believe that you receive and shall have them. Whatsoever you want, that's your desires, right? So, Paul said in Romans, therefore, Romans 8 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, that's pretty straightforward that there's this flesh is not deserving of anything. God gives it to us. He gives us many, many, many blessings, but it's not there. He said, when we want to do according to the flesh, that means do the desires of the flesh. Our flesh is a constant battle. The spirit and the flesh are doing this all day long, trying to defeat you. I used to tell people, I'd say, if your spirit's up here, you prayed and you got it up here, and the temptation comes and this down here, you're overcoming it. If you haven't done this to get your spirit up and get your life living up where you where the Spirit of God wants to, and your flesh is up here, what are you going to do? You're going to do where your strength is. If your strength is in the Spirit, if your strength is in God, then you're going to do those things that God wants us to do and has laid out in His Word. God did not give us this to collect dust. He didn't give us this for us just to read it and say, Oh, it sounds good. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. I can't do that, but it sounds pretty good. No. If he said in here he wants us to do it, we've got to do it. If we don't do it, guess what happens? We get what we want. We didn't want this. We get this, and all of a sudden we find out that what we wanted was not a benefit to us. Okay? But what God wants. It's important before we do anything, ask God to guide you and direct you. Get yourself out of the way. Right? And he says... For as many are, as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And I have to, to, to turn that over, not to be me, but just as if, if you're not led by the Spirit of God, then you are what? Not a son of God. Now, people say, Brother Graham, you can't preach everything so strict. I'm accountable, Pastor Goodluck's accountable for preaching the Word of God. What we do with the Word of God is our choice. That's our want to, okay? I can only tell you what the Word of God says. This is what it says. I didn't say that. It's what the Word of God says. If it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, you can pretty much figure out that if you don't do that, then what are you? Something else, right? Now, a lot of people say, well, that makes it sound like if I don't do, when I do something, then, then, then I'm not a Christian anymore. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when we do things like that, we need to, first of all, why are we wanting, why are we doing them in the first place? Why is our desire to do something contrary to what the Word of God tells us to do? It's because we, this flesh is strong. Strong. But God wants us to have one of, that is, Committed to Him. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, to God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. Read that. Reasonable. It says, 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When Isaac went, he was to become the sacrifice. He was to be the sacrifice. Okay? We, people talk about the Scripture that says obedience is better than sacrifice. If you do what God's Word says, it is better than any sacrifice that you can do. But a lot of people don't realize that we are a living sacrifice. Does anybody know the problem with living sacrifices? Well, the thing about a sacrifice, a sacrifice you, buy, you kill it, you throw it up on there, it stays there. Why? It's dead. The problem with being a living sacrifice is we constantly keep crawling off the altar. We don't stay on the altar. We don't stay in the presence of God. We don't stay with what God wants us to do. We don't say sacrifice. Anybody realize that a sacrifice can't have any impurities in it? Go back and look at the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Why was Jesus' legs not broken? Why? Or else it was wrong. A sacrifice could not have broken bones. And he was the ultimate sacrifice. He had to be pure in every sense of the word with no garnishing at all. And that's why he had to die. And that's why he died without having his legs broke like most of them that did in those days had to have their legs broken. And it was prophesied that it wouldn't happen. So what else is required? goes back to the scripture. It says, if anyone desires, wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. I don't know how many times I've read that and I've said, I thought it was taking up the cross of God, Jesus. It's not. He says he must take up his cross. That means we have to take up our cross. What cross are we bearing? What crosses are we bearing? Luke 14, 26 through 27 says, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And I hear everybody saying, Well, I'm sure glad I don't have to be a disciple. What is a disciple? You ever wonder... Have you ever wondered why God called his disciples? When he was on earth, he called them disciples, but when the, after he went away, he called them something else. What did he call them? Apostles. When he was with them, he was teaching them, and they were disciples, which literally means learner or a pupil. So they were his pupils. After he died, they became his word. They became that which took the gospel out. Okay? They took the gospel out. So we as disciples, when it says to be made a disciple, that means we're a learner, a pupil of God's Word and what is God's Word says. And it says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, can, me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross. So what is your cross? What is the cross that you have to bear? Well, anything that goes against God's Word and His will for your life or putting things before God, 
when he said this word hate, a lot of people, I don't know if you, but if you read after that, when he gave that little commandment, he lost a lot of followers. He lost a lot of followers. He wasn't telling them to hate their mother and father. He said, don't put them before me. I must come first. And when you look at uh, Luke 14, verse 28, it says, For which of you intending to build a, uh, a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against a king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else why, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask the conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Also in Luke 9, and 57 through 62, I want to read it so I can get finished with this here. It says, And he happened to be on a journey on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my home or at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a message within itself, and I don't have time to preach that message, but I'm going to give you one big snippet on this one, okay? Another snippet. It says when a person has put their hand to the plow and walk right straight ahead, every time you look back, you're going to get a curve in the road. How do you know that? Because I stood right there with my little hand on a plow while my grandfather plowed with Molly in front and plowed. And I kept looking back. He tapped me and he says, If you don't look straight ahead, you'll very, your row will look like this. We too many times look back at what we had before we accepted Jesus Christ. And we like that more than we like this. And if you keep looking back every time you do, you're going to throw yourself out of line and you're going to get into a place and when you look back at your row, your life is just going to be like this. God says, Jesus said right here, when you put your hands to the plow, you don't look back. You look straight ahead. Who do you look to? Jesus. Why? Because if you keep your eyes on Jesus, your life will be straight 
There will be no variance. It's there. We cannot look back. It's what behind. Okay? Need to get on. Last but not least on what else is required to follow Jesus? A lot of people don't think that a mule or a horse, when you plow, has to do anything special. You ever wondered why they do this and put these on a horse? Blinders? So that they don't do this. Like Peter did. Okay? They put the blinders on them. Those horses are trained, or mules, whatever you use. They're trained. And they do one thing. They tuck that head down. They put their eyes straight ahead. And they walk straight. If you have a mule or a horse that likes to walk, move his head a lot, he's going to move that plow. Can't plow behind those. They have to be trained. We have to train our eyes to look ahead. It's training, folks. We're not all at the same level. Some people just accepted Jesus Christ maybe last week. Other people just accepted him today. There are people that may accept the Lord just today. They still have to learn. It's a training that we have to go through. Yes, are we going to make mistakes? Yes, are we going to make wrong decisions? Of course we are. But that doesn't mean that you don't keep your eyes on that which is perfect. Because the only way you can seek perfection is to watch that which is perfect. Not watch other people and how they do it and what they do, but what God wants you to do. Following Him means to walk exactly where He walked. We need to step in His steps Walk in His ways, keep our eyes focused, and do what He wants to do. So, in conclusion, maybe my first conclusion, but we'll see. Surrender requires trust. Trust in Jesus, trust in God's promises. As Isaac trusted, he trusted his father. He was willingly laid before his father on the altar. He ultimately trusted God. And Abraham told Isaac that God would supply the sacrifice. That's what he had told him. Isaac had to have held on to that. And promise made to Abraham before he was to offer up Isaac, he stood on those promises. Jesus trusted in the Garden of Eden, not my will, but Lord, thine be done. He was willing to lay down his life. We as Christians must be willing. We must want to lay down our lives for Jesus. We have to want to trust Him. We have to want being a living sacrifice and being an acceptable sacrifice for the Lord. We have an altar to stay on as a living sacrifice. We took the altars out of churches years ago. And I can go right now into my old home church and I could show you the place and the altar that had the stains of my tears on it where I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I went forward. My mother was behind me. My father was in front of me. 
My uncle, it's actually my great uncle. My great uncle was very aged, but he was a minister of the gospel in the assemblies for many, many, many years. Was sitting on the altar. And I prayed and I cried to God. I prayed and I cried to God. And I had been saved before as a child. I knew that peace that God gives on the inside when you totally surrendered your life to Him. I knew what it felt. I looked up at my father. I said, Dad, I don't have a peace that I know I'm supposed to have. I don't know. He, I don't know what to do. And he says, what's standing between you and God? I said, I don't know. And he said, you pray and ask God to reveal to you what's standing between you and me, you and him, you know? So I took my head down. I started praying. I said, I said Jesus, I don't feel a peace. But I, but I love you. You know I love you. I've loved you as a child. I've been raised in the church. I went through all of the reasons why. I loved him. Why I loved him. I told him I loved him. I did love him. I did. Even as a child, even when I wasn't living for the God, I still love God. I still love Jesus. We can love Jesus and still be, we can love Jesus and still not be saved. So I said, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Why? Why can't I get that peace? What am I missing? What's standing between me and you? At seven, this was in my early 20s. At 17 years old at a church camp, one night at an invitation, I went down to an altar and I accepted Jesus Christ at 17 years old. A rededication to the Lord, if you want to call it that. While I was praying there, the Lord said, Do you love me? I said, Lord, you know I love you. I'll do anything for you but preach. I said, Lord, I don't want to preach. I don't. I looked at my dad and I said, I know what it is, Dad. And I told him that the Lord wanted me to preach. He says, you know, I'm not telling you to preach. I'm not telling you not to preach. But you, maybe he just wants you to be willing to preach. Maybe he just wants you to want to. So I bowed my head. Hardest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. Said Jesus, if you want me to preach, I'll preach. But I don't know anything about it. My father's not a preacher. My mother wasn't a preacher. All of my all of my grandmother's brothers were preachers on that side of the family, so I got a string of them. I saw no thing about it. So if you want me to preach, then you're going to have to work it out for me to go to Bible college where I can learn how to be a preacher. And if you work all that out, I'll, I'll be a preacher. Now, we're not supposed to pray with conditions, but I'm in it because I didn't know what it was to be a preacher. I preached before I went to Bible college for a little bit, but God worked it out, miraculously worked it out for me to go to Bible college. I graduated. I got a double major 
theology, Bible. Went and got my master's in theology. Did all those things. But you know, don't know that I ever needed all of those things to be a preacher because many people preach great that don't have any of those things. But to me, it was necessary. And if it was necessary to me, God saw that and he allowed it. And now you see me standing before you and I've been doing that for over 40 years. But I had to first want to. Is there something in your life that God wants you to do that you're unwilling to do for Him? Because many of us stagnate where we are because we don't keep alive the vision that God has for us. God has given this church a mighty vision. I don't know if you really, I don't think few people realize what God is asking this body to do. But if God has said to do it and we don't do it, okay? So we have a pastor who has the want to. Even where he is, he still wants to take this gospel to the world. Okay? I was 66, I think, somewhere around there, when the Lord called my wife and I to do work in missions in Africa. And I asked God, I said, God, why are you waiting until I'm 60? I'm just getting ready to retire, 66 years old. Why didn't you call me to Africa when I was in my 20s? When I could, you know, I I said, why did you choose me? He says, because... You're willing to. You want to do what I want you to do, and the young ones don't. Because many people, kids today, want to, but they've been told to do what you want to do, because if you do what you want to do, that's what makes you happy. That's what makes you happy in the flesh, but it doesn't help you at all in your your relationship with Jesus Christ. So, All God really wants us to do, it's pretty simple from the very beginning, even Adam and Eve, all he, all he ever wanted was us. He wanted us to serve Him, love Him, obey Him, live for Him, and live a surrendered, have a surrendered heart and make a total commitment of our will to His. Folks, that's how you walk with joy, unspeakable joy. Doing what God wants you to do, what He wants you to do, that's where the joy comes. What we want to do gets us, most of the time gets us in trouble, but we, everybody, oh, I have to work. I have, there are things that we have to do. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't take something and blow it out of proportion, Okay? But the fact is, God has things He wants all of us to do. We're fixing, we're getting ready. I'm going to say getting ready instead of fixing because we're not supposed to fix things like that. Men are not. We try to fix things all the time. But our wives never listen. Anyway. We have been given a great mission. Okay? 
With a great mission comes great commitment. Great surrender, sacrifice, okay? Because it's going to require something of not some of us, but it's going to require us wanting, all of us wanting to do what God has called this church to do. And that's what we need to get our lives because those things that we do, now God's going to want to do things for you personally also, but I'm talking about as far as the vision. But this message is both for vision and also for your own personal vision because there's things. There's people here today that have great talents, talents that God has given to you that you use in a secular world. Is there any way you can use those great talents for something for God's kingdom? He gave you that talent. Can you use it for Him? That's what vision is all about, is everybody catching the, the vision. And what is the vision? Wanting to do what God put before us. Grab everybody, get a hold of the plow. Quit looking back at the things that we haven't accomplished. Quit looking at the things that we haven't done, the things where we have failed in the past. Dedicate our lives to the Lord and keep our heads straight on Jesus and begin to do what God wants us to do for His kingdom and for this church and for you. Praise God. As Amy comes, is Amy here? Yeah, Amy. I, uh, I know um, some of you may not know this song. Maybe because it was written before I was born, and I'm old as dirt. It was a song that we used to sing many times at the church. I don't know how many times. I sang this song as a child. And cried like a baby. Long before I ever was called into the ministry. But as a young child. It was a song we sang many years ago. And this song. Talks about surrender. And I'd like if you would. If you would like to. Stand. I don't know if did we find the did we find the music. I surrender all. And I want to sing that song this morning for us to sing. I got them to find hopefully they found the verses. Because some of you may not know it, but it's a pretty simple song because our older songs were a lot simple real, real simple. But I'd like for us to sing the song as a as a prayer. I'd like for you to sing it from the bottom of your heart. Because if you truly mean what you say, it's not what you say. It's do you mean what you say? When you accept Jesus Christ, do you really mean it or are you just doing it to get you get rid of that little bit of conviction today? Because when people get saved, they change. If you don't see change, something didn't happen because it requires commitment. Well, let's just start on the, on the chorus part because everybody should know that. may not know the verses. And then we'll do the verses and just pray this prayer. As you sing it, would you? Ah, what you win? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, I surrender. 
to sing this verse if we could. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I give. I will ever trust, trust Him in His presence. Yes, I third verse says, all to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine, holy thine. Fill me with thy love and your power. Truly know, truly know that thou art mine. Last verse says, in Jesus, all to Jesus I surrender. Now I feel the sacred, sacred flame. Oh, the joy of full salvation. Glory, glory to His name. If you're here this morning and you can't sing that song of surrender because you haven't really made that surrender to Jesus, you may have at some time in your life given your heart to the Lord, but you haven't been living where God wants you to live. You haven't been doing what God wanted you to do. And you would say to the Lord today, I, I, I want to serve you, Lord. I want to make a real commitment. I want to do that thing, those things that are pleasing in Thy sight. I want to become a living sacrifice, totally holy and acceptable, and doing those things which are holy and acceptable unto You. And you'd like to either rededicate your life, or you would like to just accept Jesus Christ for the first time. I want to give you that opportunity before we close this service this morning. Is there one that would raise your hand and say, I, I, I need to know Jesus today? Is there one here? If you're out there and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord, you need to because God wants you completely. He wants all of you. Not part of you. He wants it all. So we're going to pray together and if you're out there 
you have, need Jesus or you need to surrender your life, pray this prayer with me, would you? Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I thank you, Lord, for all that you've given me, for all that you're going to give me. I thank you, Lord, that when you died, you died for all of my sins. Lord, you was raised and you presented your body completely perfect. And you did it for me. And I ask you, Lord, to be the Lord of my life from this day forward. I am saved. I am committed. I am surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer? You're saved. You're born again. Now, seek Him. Follow Him. Deny yourself. Surrender your life. Commit it. And let's do together what God has called us all to do. Anybody really want to? Anybody want to do what God has called us to do? Praise the Lord. May the Lord richly bless you. Father, go with us to our homes. Keep your hedge of safety around us. Lord, as we go, be with our pastors, Lord, as they travel. Bring them back safe to us, Lord, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for your healing touch. We thank you, Lord, for your strength that you give. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come and be with us on Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Lord bless you.